Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas from Walk in Truth Radio. Hey, today we're going to take a break from the teaching in the book of Mark, and we have a special message on Christmas. So be blessed as you listen. Enjoy the holiday. Remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we will catch you next time on the broadcast. God bless you. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Luke chapter 2 today. Luke 2, primarily looking at verses 25 through 35. We're going to look at the story of Simeon in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, My eyes have seen thy salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us eyes. What a glorious gift to be able to see, to think of the intricateness of the eye, the way you uh, put everything together so that we could look on your creation. There was a man about 2,000 years ago that was longing for the consolation of Israel. And you had made a promise to him through the Spirit that he would not die until his eyes had looked upon the Savior. And he would say some of the most powerful words, I think, in all the Bible. Now I can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. We know, Lord, that many people who look at Jesus today look at him with question marks, confusion. Many people don't even know what his name means. But his name means Jehovah is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And as we go back to a time when Simeon got to hold that baby in his arms, may you help us afresh to take the promises to our heart that are found in the Bible, to not rush past a Christmas season just caught up in all the busyness, but that we would slow down and that our eyes would look upon afresh this great Christmas story that is true, and that means our salvation. We ask that in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, after the birth account and the shepherds, as we've seen in our Christmas play here, going to see this great sight, Luke records the eighth day of Jesus' life. And if you'll find in Luke 2.21, to set the scene, when eight days were completed, Luke 2.21, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. Now, for the Jew, they would name the child officially on the eighth day. And it's fitting that Jesus circumcised on the eighth day because he was a Jew and because he was connected to Abraham, as we see in Matthew's genealogy, taking him back as a son of Abraham and a son of David. And Jesus, on the eighth day of his little life, was circumcised. And it interests me that when he was circumcised, you know, the knife came down, the blood was shed, and the name was given. And the name, Jesus, means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus saves. And it interests me that every time Mary or Joseph might call Jesus, Jesus, come here, every time they called his name, it meant Yahweh saves. Jesus saves. And that's really what Christmas is all about. And you'll notice 
His name was called Jesus then, Luke 2.21, the name given by the angel before, because both Mary and Joseph were told what his name would be before he was conceived, notice, in the womb by that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You can mark Luke 1.35 in your Bible. And so Jesus is born on the scene. His name comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. And before Joshua was Joshua, his name was Hosea. And it's interesting that Moses, for you note takers, gave him the name Joshua. You can find that in Numbers 13, 16. Before that, he was called Hosea. Hosea uh, means salvation, but Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So even Joshua was renamed at a certain time. Names take on, of course, great significance as we see in the Bible. And Jesus was so named because he would rescue from sin and death. In Luke 1.31, if you look in your Bible, just one chapter back, Luke 1.31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, Luke 1.32. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus' mission was to save us at his first coming, but he will rule and reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. And if you know him, you will be part of that eternal kingdom. You will be with the Lord forever. What a great promise we have. And he, Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob, notice forever, verse 33, and his kingdom will have no end. So many people are wondering what the future holds. If you know Jesus, then you know the one who will not only holds the future, but will rule the future through the millennium and through into eternity. And when the days, verse 22, back in Luke 2, of there, uh, the New King James says, her purification according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem, Luke 2.22, to present him to the Lord. Now, Mary, uh, the days of the purification uh, noted here, according to the law of Moses, a woman who had a male child was unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, the child was circumcised, and then the woman remained unclean for 33 days afterwards. At the end of that time, according to Leviticus 12, she would then go to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's about five or six miles from Jerusalem. Then after that time of purification, they would come to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and they would present the child to the Lord, but there would also have to be an offering. And the offering would have to be for Mary's purification. Now, Let's hold our finger in Luke and go to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 12, first five books of Moses. And you'll notice in Leviticus 12.6, the Bible gives us insight about what's happening. Leviticus 12.6, it says this. And when the days of her purification are completed, speaking of a woman who has a male child or, or a daughter, for a son or a daughter, Leviticus 12.6, middle of the verse, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting, notice, a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he, the priest, shall offer it before the Lord, verse 7, and make atonement for her. Isn't it interesting that at this point, Mary still believes that she has to go through the atonement process for her purification. And that tells us that Mary knew that she was a sinner, 
She needed to be atoned for. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law of her who bears a child, whether a male or female, verse 8. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean." Now, we know that Mary was not able to offer a lamb. And if you did not have the financial wherewithal to offer a lamb, it was acceptable to offer the two pigeons or the dove. And this tells us that at this point in their lives, they were not wealthy. This also tells us that the visit to the Magi of the Magi had to come afterwards. Because Mary had to go through this process of purification. She had to go to the temple. And if the Magi had come earlier, they certainly would have had the wherewithal to afford a lamb. So that's why we believe that it's between 41 days and maybe as much as two years before the Magi come to the Jesus child. It may well be that he was a little tyke at this point. He wasn't a little baby when the Magi come and bow before him and present the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Mary could not afford a lamb, if you go back to Luke. But what Mary might not have known at that moment was she already had a lamb. See, the lamb had been provided for her. And what's intriguing to me and powerful is that the one that she held in her, her arms was her lamb. You see, God had already provided the lamb. And he incredibly would spill his blood for his mother's salvation. And so she held in her arms the offering. He was the offering, sent by God, of course, to cover and pay and cleanse the sins of the world. And also you'll notice in your Bible, in verse 22, back in Luke 2, they also came to present him to the Lord. Verse 23 says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now this particular thing that they go through, not only the circumcision according to the eighth day, back to the Abrahamic covenant, but the second part that they go through is the presenting of the firstborn to the Lord. Now, for the sake of time, I'll just tell you, you can find this in Exodus 13. You can turn there if you want to, but here's what God says to Moses. This is all connected to the Passover when they're about to leave Egypt. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, sanctify to me every firstborn the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. This is Exodus 13, 2. It belongs to me. Now, the firstborn of animals were supposed to be sacrificed unto the Lord. The firstborn of humans, or males in this case, were to be presented to the Lord, but redeemed back by a shekel price. So what would happen is you would not offer your firstborn, humanly speaking, because the Bible doesn't teach that. God does not teach uh, human sacrifice. But what you would do is you would pay a redemption price. I think it was about five or six shekels. This would point to the ultimate redemption, of course, in Jesus Christ, that he would redeem us and buy us back. But it was not with silver and gold that we were redeemed from our aimless conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
And so you would go and you would present your son or you would present that firstborn of the animal to the Lord. And it intrigues me that as they presented Jesus uh, to the Lord, Mary's firstborn, if you will, the Lord says in uh, Exodus 13 two, it or he belongs to me. And never was that more true than in the case of Jesus Christ. Because he was the son sent from the father. And it's incredible to me the way the Holy Spirit puts these incredible things together. Because as they presented Jesus to the Lord, it was like, yeah, he belongs to me. He's my son. I've given him to redeem the world. He is the lamb. It goes on to say in Exodus 13, 13, but every first offspring uh, of a donkey, an unclean animal, you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. The unclean animal had to be redeemed by the clean animal, Exodus 13, 13. And we, those who are unclean, have been redeemed by the clean one. Peter puts it this way, uh, Jesus was the righteous one who died for the unrighteous, 1 Peter 3.18, that's you and me. What's incredible is that this whole scene on the eighth day of Jesus' young life is all about redemption. It's all pointing to the cross. And specifically, it calls out a lamb. And of course, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you look in your Bible, you'll notice that in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what uh, was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons is what they offered. And behold, here now in the temple precincts, you'll notice in your Bible, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Simeon's name means hearkening or to heed. This man, notice, was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Simeon appears to be an old man, and he's been looking for the consolation. The idea of consolation here means comfort or solace, what affords refreshment, and it points to the Messiah or messianic salvation. It connects to the idea in the Old Testament of Isaiah 40, verse 1, that says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Simeon saw the condition of Israel. He saw what was going on in his nation. He saw the Roman domination that had been happening some 60 years at the time that Jesus was born. They were under the yoke and the thumb of Rome. And Simeon had seen many, I'm sure, dark days in his life, but he knew that there was expectation of the Messiah. So Simeon was spending time in the temple. He was righteous and devout, two important words that mean commitment. He was committed to the Lord. He he lived his life for the glory of God. The idea of the two words are very intriguing because they point to one who is regularly filled with the Holy Spirit, one who is committed to the ways of the Lord, and that's exactly what was going on in the life of Simeon. Genesis 49, 18 says, For thy salvation I wait. Simeon was looking for the comforter of Israel. Psalm 119, 41 says, My, May thy loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, thy salvation according to thy word. Here is Simeon. His name, the root word of his name, comes from the Hebrew Shema, which means to hear, and we have the Hebrew prayer in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Simeon comes from Shema, but I looked up his name, and specifically his name, according to one source that I looked up, means that God hears. Now, we often talk about Simeon, and we talk about, well, Simeon was sensitive to the voice of God, and he had the Spirit upon him, and so he was looking for that Savior, that child. But what interests me is that Simeon's name can also mean God hears. And there was another time in the history of Israel when the people of God were looking for comfort. It was way back in the time when they were in Egypt under uh, Egyptian slavery. They were looking for the consolation of Israel. There's a great scene in the Ten Commandments where they're doing the mud dance, and there's Charlton Heston there. And uh, the one man says something, you know, you, you beat our bodies and you break us, and uh, one throws a hatchet at this old man, and he takes it in the chest, and he's dying in uh, Moses' arms. And he, said, and he says something like this, I, I've lived this long, and my prayer remains unanswered, for I prayed that before I died, I would see the Messiah. And that makes me think of Simeon. But it makes me think more about his name because his name means God hears. And when Moses sees the great sight of the burning bush and God speaks to him, he says in Exodus 3, 6, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have given heed to their cry. See, the Lord hears our cry. Now, the Lord's timing is perfect. He knew when he would send Jesus, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But this means to me, this is an application point for me, God hears. God hears your cry. God knows what you need in the times of your life that may seem the darkest. And I think Simeon here is, is a person who's heeded the cry of God, but it's also you can reverse it, God has heeded his cry. He says in later in this same verse, because of their taskmasters, I've given heed to their cry, and I am aware of their sufferings. And you may be going through a tough time right now, maybe spiritually, maybe mentally, maybe physically, but God is aware of your sufferings. And he goes on to say in Exodus 3, 9, and now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. This righteous and devout man would see the consolation of Israel. If you look at verse 25 again, the Holy Spirit is upon uh, here Simeon and it has been revealed to him by the Spirit, notice, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, a promise that God had given to him. I don't know how the promise came, but Simeon knew it was from the Lord and he was confident that he would see the Lord's salvation the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And he came, verse 27, in the Spirit. Wouldn't it be good if we come in the Spirit more often to church, <laughs> to work? Well, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law that we've described, and he took him, Simeon took Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God. And said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Now, we have a brand new little child in our family. Her name is Cadence Michelle. And family members fight over who gets to hold this child. 
This child is so loved. All right, that's enough. You know, I have her for like a minute. All right, time's up. Ding, bell rings. Somebody else has the child. It's like, hey, 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 right? But this child is loved, and it's awesome. Imagine Mary holding the little baby Jesus and having to release him to Simeon. It almost, for me, points to something very human in Mary that she would have at some point in her life to let him go. She would have to let him go to his mission. She would have to let him go to the cross. And Mary, of course, would experience, I'm sure, great peaks in her life watching this young boy grow into a man. But she would have to let him go. And that's what speaks to me here. And of course, there's another letting go here. This is known from the famous Latin Nunc Dimittis, Simeon's song from the first words of the Latin Vulgate translation meaning you now dismiss, or you can now dismiss. And notice, Simeon says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace. In other words, what Simeon is saying is, Now I can die in peace. I know you've taken care of it, God. And I hope that, you know, we can come to the end of our lives, whatever time that might be, and we can say, Lord, I can depart in peace. You know, Paul said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But then he said, to remain with you is more necessary. See, Paul said, to depart is to be with Christ. To die is to be with Christ. In the very verses before that, he says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You don't have to be afraid to die. If you're a Christian, your eyes have seen his salvation. If you belong to him, you will be with him forever, for he himself is our peace. I can die in peace, Simeon says. He is our peace. He came and preached Ephesians 2.17, peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. I can depart in peace. My prayer has been answered. Which thou, verse 31, has prepared in the presence of all people. Salvation is not only for the Jews, but for all peoples. And Simeon had that uh, insight. A light of revelation, notice, to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Matthew records these words. Now when, Matthew four twelve, when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting dark in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And then Jesus begins his public ministry, Matthew 4, 17, and he begins to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke is authoring the gospel and Luke was a Gentile. Must have been glorious for Luke to, regard, to record these words, not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for me, because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And Jesus came for all. It says here in Isaiah 25, 9, this is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Christmas time should be a reminder of all that God has done to save us. The radical measures that he took 
to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And each time that you speak his name, each time that you pray in the name of Jesus, you should remember that every time you say his name, you are saying, Yahweh is my salvation. He saved me. That's what Christmas is all about. His father, verse 33, and mother were amazed. They marveled at the things which were being said about him. They were incredibly in awe of everything that was being said of this child. Of course, they had gotten the testimony of the angel. The shepherds had come. So much had happened in their young lives. Uh, Mary could have been as young as 12 years old, according to some major scholars. Some believe no more than 14. She had to be blown away by what was being said. But I think she would be quickly sobered by what Simeon would say next. And Simeon blessed them. He blessed the child, blessed God, blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. What an interesting and accurate description of Jesus Christ. I just got an email from the Pacific Justice Institute. They've received several firsthand reports of Christmas suppression. Oh, yes, it's still happening. In one instance, a school cafeteria worker was told she could not wish school children a Merry Christmas. In another, a class of fifth graders was asked to select a song for a holiday school program, but was then told the song could not mention Christmas due to separation of church and state. Oh, my, 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 my. It continues to happen in our world. We cannot say Merry Christmas, but I pray that you'll say exactly what Bill said at the beginning. Merry Christmas and God bless you. We even have little buttons at our evangelism table. You can wear them uh, in the coming weeks. It says it's okay to say Merry Christmas. (laughs) Christmas from the Latin means Christ was sent. And every time you go about your Christmas shopping, trying to stay unfrazzled and not in the flesh as you wait in line, right, and deal with difficult people, every time you say Merry Christmas, you're saying in Latin, Christ was sent to be our salvation. He will be for the fall and rise of many in Israel. You can stand upon him and rise to new life, verse 34, or you can stumble over the stumbling stone, as Peter says, because he is a rock of offense to many people. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. Now you say, but wait a minute. You just said that um, Simeon can depart in peace and he came to bring peace. And I even know that it's said of the song of the angels in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. But that actually is not the most accurate rendering because Luke 2.14 in the New American Standard reads, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. See, God is pleased with those who receive his son. And if you're not in his son, I have to be perfectly candid, he is not pleased with you. Because you've rejected his son, and because if you reject his son, you're condemned according to John 3 already. Because you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It is not good enough just to sing the songs without understanding the message. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why he arrived to save us. Thank you for listening to today's program. 
If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.